great. And as you come in, or as you um, came in, you should have gotten one of these handouts here. The handout tonight, if you take your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to deal with a passage that has, um, uh, I think will be interesting tonight. It should be a, a, I want hopefully some good engagement on this. Matthew chapter 7 is in the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And so I understand that we are dropping in the middle of this discussion, so there is some context to this. But by way of introduction, it's easy for us, I think, to see the flaws and the sins in other people. It's extremely easy for us to identify these. A lot of times it is. It isn't always easy, but it's easy when you look over someone else's shoulder to see their problems. I was just, my, my son was playing chess with a neighbor down the street. They were at our house, and I was working yesterday and they had they were goofing off and they went inside to cool off and they were playing chess and I'm kind of watching over their shoulder and about every three moves I just cringe on the inside because I see like a dozen things that are are going wrong (laughs) and and neither one of them sees that they're just blindly missing you know winning opportunities and I think to myself ah this is terrible this is awful and it takes it really was hard not to like say something but I couldn't because that would be cheating and that'd be wrong and I can't do that. <clears throat> but uh, we do that with people's, uh, people's lives too, right? We see them doing things and we think to ourselves, ooh, that was, that was really, really bad. I know that uh, I have said things f- before publicly. Then I see people's faces respond like, ooh, that was really not a smart thing to say. And immediately I wonder, what did I say? And my wife will tell me later what I said. She'll help me, help me through it. Sometimes it's uh, just completely, the, I said the wrong words. Other times it's just I didn't mean for it to come out a certain way. But we have flaws. We all have flaws. You have flaws. I have flaws. We all have sin. I have sin. You have sin. And sometimes it's hard for you to see your own sin. Uh, I once had someone describe it. It's like your nose. Like you can't really ever see it straight. It's very difficult to see your own nose. And even when you look in a mirror, it's backwards. You know, it's, it's hard. It, 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 we can't ever see ourselves uh, because we're so close to our sin, sometimes it's very difficult. Now, sometimes God shines a light on our sin, and that's great, but um, it's also very hard for us when someone else points out our flaws. If someone says, hey, I got to talk to you about something, and they sit down and they kind of open up, you know, your own life in front of you, that's really hard. I've had people do that with me before, and it has not been easy. I've had to have conversations like that with people, and it's not been easy. Um, so how should we, our main question here is, how should we deal with sins of other people or the flaws of other people. And this is a context that goes broad and wide. In your marriage, how should you deal with the sins or the flaws of your spouse? With your, with your friends, friend group, how should you deal with the, the flaws or the sins of your friend, friend group? First blank, should we ignore them? Should we ignore these sins? Do I have a responsibility to help someone with their sin? Is that on my shoulders? Or if I walk away, is it a problem? Okay. Should I ignore these sins? Number two, should we be judgmental? There's your blank. Number two, should I be judgmental? Do I have the responsibility of pointing out every time somebody does something wrong? These are the two extremes, right? It's either like, should I, should I ignore or should I constantly be walking around saying, hey, did you realize that when you said that you did this? Or did you realize this was a little bit selfish of you or whatever? So those are our two big contrasts here. And, and hopefully this passage of Scripture will help us as we deal with this question of, of how do we deal with a sinful neighbor? 
Okay, Matthew 7, I'm going to read these first five verses. If you have your Bible, you can follow along with me. Jesus says, Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? And do not consider the plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me remove that speck from your eye, and look, the plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Okay, in this, I identified several mistakes that we make when we deal with people's, other people's sins. And there might be more, but these are just some I identified. Mistake number one is thinking that I don't need to concern myself with other people's sin. Okay, when you read this passage, you might come to this and you might say, oh, good, I don't need to concern myself with other people's sins. So mistake number one, I don't need to concern myself. In other words, I'm going to mind my own business. My sister used to call this MMOB. This is what she said everybody had. Uh, she said people at the hospital, they would just have MMOB. I was just minding my own business, and the next thing you know, and something happened, right? And this is what some of us think. I'm just going to be minding my own business. I am not going to concern myself with other people's sin. In fact, I think Matthew 7, 1 is probably the most quoted verse in the Bible next to John three sixteen. Judge not. I mean, haven't you, have you ever had conversations? It seems like every unsaved person I've talked to about sin, this ends up coming up. Well, doesn't the Bible say, judge not, lest you be judged? And I'm like, do you know what that means? No, except it says, judge not. So you can't judge me. In fact, um, they, they think of it as, stay out of my business. You have no right to say that what I'm doing is wrong, because God says you can't judge. In fact, you, I've seen bumper stickers that say, only God can judge me. Have you seen that? So does this passage teach that you can never correct someone for doing something the Bible says is sin? No, obviously not. No, it does not. This is a mistake that you think um, that I don't need to concern myself with other people's sin. Look at verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you judge, you will be judged. Okay, so this is a warning, but also advice. He's saying, judge not, lest you be judged. In other words, if you can't take it, don't dish it out, in, in the current way kids might say it today. This is, not a command, this is not a command for us not to judge. This is your blank. This is not a command for us not to judge, but a warning for us to be careful in what? How we judge. Okay, this is not about not judging. He's saying when you judge, you will be judged in the way in which you judge. Okay? Judge not if you don't want to be judged, because with the judgment you use, you will be judged. And with the measure you measure, you will be measured back to you. You will be, in other words... The standard you apply, the measurement you use, will be also applied to you. All right? So you will be held accountable by the standard you promote. Great example of this is those world leaders who fly around on private jets to conferences where they give speeches telling us we should not fly on airplanes because they pollute the environment. That always cracks me up, right? And it will bring about catastrophic climate change. If you fly on airplanes, let me get back in my jet and go back home, okay? It's like, wait, wait, wait a second, wait a second. It, what, what are you doing? Like, you told me, and I don't have a problem with him flying a private jet. If I had that kind of money, I'd fly a private jet. That's awesome. I mean, that would be great. You know, I, I'm not going to fly. Don't worry, Harvest is not going to buy a private jet, right? I have, no re, I have no need for a private jet, but it would be fun to have. If you had money, why not, right? If you had the money in the world, why not? 
But, but if you're telling me that I can't fly, you should not be flying because judge not lest you be judged because that's the measurement you have established, so you better keep the measurement you're establishing. Does that kind of make sense? Okay, so this applies in our, in our culture today too. I mean, if you have a rule that under no circumstances are we going to go to a restaurant that serves alcohol, well, then you, you better hold to that standard. I mean, if that's what you're going to be mad at people, like if you got mad at me, if you said, Pastor Marshall, you went to Chili's, and Chili's has a bar, and that's sinful, well, then, well, if you're going to criticize me for that, if you're going to be critical of someone for that, you better be careful about where you go to eat, because with what judgment you judge, you'll be judged, and you just need to be careful. Does that make sense? We're good with that? So mistake number one is thinking, I don't need to concern myself with other people's sin. This is not about that. This is about uh, how we judge, and we'll talk more about that in a minute, not, not uh, that we judge. So for the reason you need to be careful how you judge, with the judgment you use, I mentioned here, you will be judged. Mistake number two that this passage often, people reading this passage might take, is downplaying your own sin while pointing out other people's sin. This is one of the mistakes people make is we downplay our own sin while pointing out other people's sin. Look at the rhetorical question Jesus asks. In fact, Jesus uses some humor here. Uh, rhetorical question number one, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? Okay, so uh, downplaying is what I'm going to call this. And, or we might say justifying, but this is not quite that. This is really downplaying sin. So I want you to think about what he says here. Why do you look or why do you notice why do you look at the speck that's in your brother's eye? And the, uh, the picture here is of just noticing something. It's like it, we all have done this where we're just walking around and all of a sudden we see something. We're like, wait a second, that's not right. And we notice it like, it like gets our attention. And we're like, what, what's, what is this? What, what's going on with this? Um, that's noticing, and that's the word, it's the word blepo. It's a very common Greek word. It just means to see something, to notice it, okay? And what are you noticing? What's the picture? What, what, is he, what are you noticing in your brother's eye? A speck. What is a speck? Give me help. It's just a piece of dust. It's like a piece of dirt. It's a little, it's a little speck. It's like something that was in your brother's eye uh, that's not supposed to be there. It's like an irritant, like a little, a little speck of dirt or a little speck of dust and it's something that's impeding his sight because he can't see properly with this, with this dust. Um, I, I thought it's funny here that a speck of dust, interestingly to me, is something that's hardly perceptible from the other person. Like I have a, if Matt had a speck of dust in his eye, I would have a very hard time to see that unless I was really close to him, probably too close for comfort. And, and so, but he would notice a speck in his eye. How, how often do we get stuff in our eye and you notice it? And you're like, help me get this out. And what's the other person saying? I don't see it. I don't see it, right? So it's, it, normally you would notice the speck in your own eye and, and the person across the table from you or whatever couldn't see it. But this is an analogy for what? What is the analogy so far of? Is, what is it of? What is it supposed to represent? Sin, right? The speck in your brother's eye is a sin in your brother's life. It's an analogy of that sin that causes us to stumble, just like the dust keeps us from seeing properly. It's the irritant that needs to be removed from your brother's eyes. Okay, so we have the second question. Why do you notice? Why do you look at? Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye? If you keep reading, he says, but do not consider the what? Do not consider, let me do the speck equals like dust. Let's just think of that, okay? Dust, hardly noticeable, right? 
but do not consider. Now, this is a different word from the word look. The word consider is a different word, and this is the idea of think about, to think on, or to carefully consider. It's kata naeo. It has the idea of, of, of thinking about something. Naeo is where we get our word, no, is not, well, it's not knowledge, it's the idea of, of your mind. It's putting your mind upon. So he's saying, why do you not consider, why do you not ponder, why are you not concerned about what? The the plank. Well, anybody else have a different translation? The beam. The log. Okay. This is a large piece of rough timber that was used in making, um, making roofing. Okay. So if you were going to, to stretch out a roof, you would use a plank or a beam or a log. We're talking about a telephone pole style thing. Okay. This is a large piece of wood rough timber, and, and this is supposed to be a humorous picture. Now, we have heard this so many times that to us, I said a plank in your eye, and nobody even chuckled. But let me tell you, when Jesus said this, I have no doubt that when he said this, the whole crowd, there was a, that rumbling of laughter among the crowd. Because the picture here is ridiculous and funny at the same time. Here, here's a man with a plank sticking out of his eye. I mean, my dad used to say a telephone pole because that to us connects better. Like, how would you like to walk around with a telephone pole sticking out of your eye socket? Would you think you would notice if there was a telephone pole sticking out of your light eye socket? I think you would notice. I think somebody would be like, you know, I think I got something in my eye. <laughs> and someone else would say, you don't say, right? I mean, you've got a telephone pole. You've got a beam. You've got a gigantic piece of wood sticking out of you. Not to mention the weight, <clears throat> you know, the weight of your eye pulling you down. Okay, you are looking at a brother who has a little speck of hardly discernible dust in his eye. Meanwhile, out of your eye sticks a gigantic piece of wood that you would use to support a roof. Okay, this, it's supposed to be a humorous picture. And he, he's saying, have you not considered? Have you not noticed? And then further, can you be sure that what you're seeing in your brother's eye is truly what, you, what you're seeing if you have a plank sticking out of your eye? Are you sure that you're seeing straight? So that's our second mistake here. Um, the third mistake will happen that this passage addresses is thinking that everyone else needs to change first. That everyone else needs to change first. That they need to change before I change. Um, look at what he says in verse five. Um, hypocrite, first what? First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. What's the accusation? You are a what? You are a hypocrite. Now, people love to use this word. But does anybody know where this word comes from or what it means? Yeah, an actor, right? And I think it's connected to the word for a mask. It's this idea of someone who, you know, Greek, Greek tragedies, they would wear a mask, you know, while they would talk. And they, you, if you have an actor on stage and someone, someone's on stage and they're acting and they, and they die, no, nobody starts, like, nobody's actually super concerned in the audience because we know they're pretending, right? We know that what they said on stage is not really what they feel. 
They may have convinced us, they're convincing, they, they pull us in, we, we forget for a moment, but in the end, they're a hypocrite, they're an actor, they're not for real, they're not being authentic. And so here he's saying, you are a hypocrite if you are looking at your brother, and meanwhile, you have the same problem, but much, much worse, actually. You're pretending to be what you are not. You are a mask wearer. So what's the command? First what? First remove. If we're talking about sin as the analogy, what does it look like to remove the plank? Humble yourself. Okay, sure. Humble yourself. What else do you do? Ask forgiveness for the sin that you've committed against someone else. Yeah. Confess the sin. Call it what it is. Right? Confess sin. We call sins what they are. When to confess means to agree with God. You, you admit that what you have is a sin, and you confess it. All right? You confess your sin. You acknowledge the plank is there. You stop pretending like the thing that is sticking out of your eye is, a pro- is not a problem. You do the work of dealing with the plank that is there. And, and, and I want you to think, go back to mistake number one and think for a second here. What's the reason you remove your plank? So you can see clearly to do what? To help your brother. Okay, is it a problem that your brother has a speck in his eye? It actually is a problem. Like We don't, we don't like it that people have specks in their eye. It, it hurts them. It's not helpful. But you have more than a speck in your eye. So first you need to deal with the thing that's more than a speck in your eye so you can help your brother who has a speck in his. I think this is the part that's often missed in this whole thing. We're like, deal with your sin first. Okay, I dealt with my sin. Now what? Now you can help your friend. You can't help your friend until you deal with your sin first. Turn this into a marriage discussion. You cannot help your spouse fix their issue until you deal with your issue first. Uh, in the book, The Peacemaker by Ken Sandy, he has a great 4G. Uh, it calls them the 4Gs. Um, the first is you, you, you uh, in, in conflict resolution, for context. He says, the first commitment is you commit to glorify God. You said, we will glorify God in this situation. My main goal is not to be right. My main goal is not to win. My main goal is to glorify God in this conflict. Then you get the log out of your own eye. Then you gently restore, which is when you point out to someone else's uh, their, their problem and their, their, their sin. You cannot point out someone's sin without first uh, confessing your part of the problem because you can't see clearly until you're right with God. And I've seen this work practically. We've had meetings before. We had a, uh, I think I've told this story before. We had a family meeting with a family uh, one time sitting around my office table where there was some, some real bad conflict, bad blood. I, I mean, real bad blood between people that had lasted for years. The, the, so-and-so didn't like so-and-so who was married and they, they thought so-and-so was a floozy and they thought so-and-so was stupid. I mean, it was bad. And we're having a conversation and I said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to pray. We're going to go around the room. Everyone's going to pray. And we're going to ask God to be glorified in this conversation. And I think half the people in that room weren't saved. That was very odd to them. We're going to pray. Yes, we're all going to pray. Everyone's going to pray out loud that God, you close your eyes, you bow your head, you fold your hands on the table, and we're going to pray that God's going to be glorified. Secondly, we're going to go around and we're going to admit where we contributed to this problem. We're going to ask forgiveness of the other person for how we contributed to the conflict that's here present on the table. And only then can you, can you tell them how they contributed to the problem. And, and it started off well. We went around, we prayed, and then um, the, the first thing that came out of their mouth was, well, you know, the minute you did this, you, I said, well, stop. 
We're not to that part yet. That's step three. We're, we're, we're just going to, you got to admit where you did wrong. Nobody wants to admit where, they, where they're wrong first. But I'm telling you, once you admit where you're wrong and confess, that opens up the hearts of other people to actually listen to you. They will not listen to you if you are stubborn and refuse to admit where you're wrong. If all you want to do is correct other people, no one will listen to you. No one will actually, even if you're right. Um, before you can help your brother change, you need to deal with your sin first. So first, remove the plank. Okay, any questions so far before we get to mistake four? Is that making sense? Okay, this is just basic. Yeah, Matt. No, we're not. We're, so to repeat for those on the line, we're not saying that your life has to be perfect, that you don't have to have any sin in your life at all. What, what we're, I think it's interesting that Jesus uses the analogy of the thing being in the eye, both having to do with sight, both having to do, they're, they're similar problems. They're just one's a matter of perspective. So a hypocrite is someone who deals with a sin that they themselves are struggling with and are not dealing with, and they deal harshly. Okay, so um, let's, say, let's say cursing. Let's say swearing. Let's say that you have a filthy mouth, and, and everybody knows you have a filthy mouth. And when you hit your thumb, man, ooh, you better look out. Close, your, close the kid's ears. Like, here it goes. And you're trying. You're working. Or maybe you're not working. Let's go back there. Let's say you don't really, you don't really think it's a big problem. You're like, it's just when I hit my, ham, my thumb with a hammer. It's not really a big deal because I don't, I'm not in control when I do that. that. That's not really me. That's an excuse people use. So you say that, and then you confront people for having potty mouth. Okay? Somebody else has bad language, and you confront them. You really ought not to say that. Now, wait a second. Do you not have the same problem? Now, let's say that your struggle is actually on the other side. Let's say that you're a very passive person that you're not, you don't struggle with your anger, but you're just very passive. And, and, and you, when you deal with someone on anger, you need to still admit where you're wrong, but, but that's a totally, it's a totally different kind of thing. I, I think they're different. I think that the, the point here is that it's the same sin being dealt with. I don't think any of us is perfect. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's able to deal with, if that were the case, if you had to be perfect, you'd never be able to address anything. And I think it goes back to chapter 7, verse 1. If you're bringing a judgment on someone, if you're saying you need to stop doing such and such, you need to be ready for that same level, that same standard to be applied back on your life and accepted. Does that make sense? Seeing the context of how we deal with this? Okay. I, I want to address a couple more things here. If you look at mistake number four, that is assuming everything must be corrected or confronted. I need a couple people to read some verses here. Can someone read Proverbs twenty six seventeen? Need someone to read First Peter 4, 8, and someone else to read Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. So, Matthew 7 picks up as the judgment is happening. The mature Christian needs to make the decision of whether something needs to be said at all. Okay, because some things people do, do might actually just be mistakes. People make mistakes. Uh, some things are just not the best use of time, not the most efficient way. Like if you're doing something and there's not the best way of doing it, do you need to confront that? Do you need to correct that? Uh, how about a different way of doing something? Let me show you how to do that. No, you're doing this wrong. Okay. Uh, does this mean that if you see something, you have to say something? Are we in the see something, say something mode of Christianity where we walk around like a little reporters uh, for the TSA? Like, we, you know, in the airport while you're sitting there, if you see something, say something. Like, is that, is that our job as Christians to constantly be walking around and seeing something, saying something? I don't know. What does the Scripture warn us about in Proverbs twenty six seventeen, I love this verse. Who's got it? Yes, Helen, read it for us, nice and loud. Yeah. Uh, Proverbs twenty six seventeen 
and needles in a quarry not his own is like one who takes a dog by the ears. Okay. He who passes by and meddles in a quarrel not his own is like he who takes a dog by the ears. What's that? What's that warning us? Not to do what? Yeah, oh, not to meddle. Okay. Right? If, it's, if you know something's wrong, then it's a sin for you. I guess it's, we're to educate people. We're yeah. to have a relationship. Some people don't think there's anything wrong with cussing. Like right. Saying. Yeah. So if you do like that, they don't they think something's wrong with you. Yeah, we'll get to that in a second. There might be a, a time when we have to deal with someone who's overtaken in a fault, which we'll deal with in a second. But what I'm specifically talking about here. Uh, with the picture is if you are passing by a quarrel. So let's say you are in a fight with somebody and you're disagreeing over something. And I happen to walk by and I hear a little bit of it. And I'm like, this sounds like fun. And I insert myself into the discussion. Or if I, I think the analogy here or the, the kind of the, 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 the application here is you don't see the whole story, but you correct someone, make a snap correction over something that really isn't happening. I've done that before. I, I have done that before, especially when I was a youth pastor. There were times I had to go back and ask kids to forgive me because I corrected them. I mean, a snap judgment that was wrong. Okay. I heard two kids arguing and I, 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 I made a judgment on who was right and who was wrong. And I was wrong. And I found out later I was wrong. And I had to go to the kids and be like, you know what? I was wrong. I, and this is why I love this verse is because I've had to apply it a lot because I know what, you know what this verse um, points out is my pride because I think that I have answers for everybody. Oh, I can tell you how to do this. I can tell you how to solve your problem. Just let me talk to you, you know. And so I go by, I hear two people fighting. I'm thinking, oh, I can solve their problem. Psh, I can handle this. No, the Bible says, be careful. If, you, if you're not invited in, if you're not part of the problem or part of the solution, a lot of times it's best for you not to, not to meddle with things that are not your business. Um, let's keep one more. Uh, first Peter 4. What's the, yes, sir. Okay, you also have the option of covering other people's sins. That is, if someone sins, you don't have to point it out. Did you know that? You don't have to identify it, and you don't have to confront them. Love, true biblical love, covers a multitude of sins. There is a caveat to this. If it's overtaking them, that's not the same thing. But, it, you know, we are sinful people who sin a lot. And you can show mercy and grace to people by assuming the best and by covering their sin, which does not mean writing it down in a book for later where you can pull it out just the right time. It means you, you basically, they don't ever have to ask your forgiveness. You've covered it. Okay, and that normally is doing sin against you. Someone sins against you. You can cover that sin and just not consider it as an act of love. So um, what are our responsibilities? I, I, I should have put Galatians 6.1 in the next one. I'm sorry, we'll cover that in a second. What are our responsibilities? First, we are responsible to deal with our own sin first. We are responsible to deal with our own sin first. Does this mean we must be perfect? No, but... The brother's sin is in the same area as your sin. That's the I here. Your sin is more significant, more dangerous, more debilitating than your brother's sin. And secondly, not only are we responsible to deal with our own sin first, we are responsible to help 
fellow Christians, there's your blank, to help fellow Christians in their spiritual growth. And this is kind of where I want to come back to what Donna was saying, and that there is a role for Christians to play in helping other believers. And this is one of those um, passages here. Who can read Galatians 6? Okay, Katie. Okay, let's look at the conditional first. There's a conditional. If a person, if a man is overtaken in any trespass or any sin, that means you've identified this sin is not a passing thing. Uh, Martin Luther used to say about uh, sin, he said, you can't keep a bird from putting droppings on your head, but you can keep it from making a nest in your hair. Okay, you can't keep a bird from dropping, putting droppings on your head, but you can keep it from making a nest in your hair. The idea is, is that sometimes we sin, and it is a passing sin that is, needs to be confessed, yes, but it's not a sin pattern. It's not a behavioral pattern. It's not a typical thing. But other times, there are patterns and typical behavior. There are patterns of sin that have overtaken us and actually have begun to distort our relationship with God and distort our relationship with other people. I have had to have conversations with people about these sins, often selfishness, pride, spiritual pride. Some people become very highly, think very highly of themselves spiritually, and that becomes a huge issue. Okay, so if, you're over, if you see someone who is overtaken in a sin, who's responsible? Look at the next phrase, if you have your Bible. You who are spiritual, that means the spiritually minded person is to do what? Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. How are they to do it? With an attitude of gentleness, with humility, recognizing that you're no different than he is, and you could easily fall into the same sin, right? You could easily be in the same boat as this person. Why? Verse 2, I'm going to read 2 through 5. He says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Let each one examine his own work. He will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one should bear his own load. Why should we do this caring for other people's spiritual growth? Well, because this is part of bearing each other's burdens and fulfilling the law of Christ. The context of this verse, sometimes we use it for praying for each other. We say, let's bear one another's burdens, and we talk about praying. That's important. The context, actually, of this passage is confronting over sin. That's bearing the burden, right? Bearing one another's burdens, someone who's overtaken in sin. There's a warning here. Don't think you are something when you're nothing. This is self-deception, verse 3. If anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. The responsibility is to examine your own life, your own work, not to compare yourself with other people. That's what he's saying in verse 4. We're not to live in a spiritual state of pride or conceit. We're not to compare ourselves with other people so we feel superior. We are instead to test our actions so that we can minimize the possibility of self-deception. Okay. So this is what we need to do. We are to help other believers, and, but in order to do so, we need to make sure we are dealing with our own sin. Okay, any comments or questions? We have a couple minutes. We can, we can get thoughts from you guys. I love this passage. It's very, very helpful. Also very confronting. I was talking with Donna ahead of time. She's like, oh boy, here you go, right? Yeah, it's a t- I mean, it's, it's a challenging passage because it, it deals with our, our and, it, and it's important for us to evaluate our own hearts. Whenever we're going to deal with somebody, we need to sit down and say, wait a second, I, I'm getting ready to talk to somebody about something. We don't normally do a lot of confronting. I don't think our church like, is not a confronting church. I've been in <laughs> groups where people confront each other a lot. That's not healthy. 
Um, but this happens most often, I think, in family slash marriage relationships where there has to be a, a, a talk about something or somebody's a problem. And, and, and I would say that one of the major issues I've seen that go wrong is that people elevate things that are not sin to the level of sin, and we downplay sin. So when we talk about sin, we're talking about things God calls sin. We're not talking about bad manners necessarily. We're not talking about habits. Someone clears their throat all the time, right? And then you confront them over that. You've got to stop clearing your throat. It's an abomination to God, you know? That's not, that's not the same thing as someone lying or stealing, right, or committing adultery. There's a totally different ballgame. So we've got to deal, when we're dealing with sin, we've got to make sure we're handling our sin first. Uh, comments or questions? I'm just kind of waiting until you guys think, think of something. Inter- yes, sir. <laughs> Yeah, I, yes, I, I do, uh, I, I agree, I think I agree with you, I just would say that I think that um, they need to know they're sinners, and you don't need to, uh, to be, to dance around that, I think it's, I think it is, vital to say, no, this is a sin against God. And, and I think people understand that more than we give them credit. Even unbelievers know what sin is. They just try to excuse it. Actually, yeah. I think in those situations, it always helps to, because usually people that don't know God have tons of problems and it doesn't work out for them, uh, yeah. to listen and to listen to their story and ask them, how is that working? <laughs> yeah, is that working? How's that working for you? How's yeah. that working? And most times I don't know what to do. And that yeah. opens the door to tell them about Jesus. Yeah, and, and you, you, I, I, think I, under, I think I understand what you're asking. I agree with you that, that they're not going to necessarily agree with you about the answer or even about their sin. They're going to disagree with you. Well, who says that's a sin? And God, you know, God doesn't, it doesn't apply to me. I, I understand that can be difficult. Um, the way I framed it when I went back, I was telling this story earlier about the family where probably half the people in the room were unsaved. The way I, I framed that was, um, is to confess you are part of the problem. What is your contribution to the problem? Um, they may not say it the same way I would say it, but at least it gets them humble. And I think if you, you know, it will, it, those, this is important to do even for somebody who's an unbeliever. They need to recognize their sin, yeah. Yeah, and, and I'll close with this, that we should expect unbelievers to act like unbelievers. Like, you should not be surprised when an unbeliever swears, and you don't need to be confronting unbelievers over swearing. That's, that's the thing, like, so, or, or sin. Like I, like I said, I like to play golf, and I play golf with guys all the time, and normally it's like, uh, you know, I, I play, and I, I try to use opportunity to witness to them. So I'm like, so what do you do for work? Oh, you know, I'm an agent, insurance company, or I'm a doctor, or whatever. And, and eventually they feel bad. They haven't asked me what I do for work. So what do you do for work? I'm a pastor. Oh, really? And then and everything changes. They're like, I'm really sorry about that uh, last hole there, and the, the, or whatever. And they know, like they know it's, it, 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 and I'm like, ah, so, you know, no. I, I expect them. If they're unbelievers, I expect them to act like unbelievers. I don't expect believers to act like unbelievers. I expect them to be convicted by the Spirit and to be changed. I, that bothers me when believers act like that. But when unbelievers act like that, you expect it. I'm not going to confront him over that, right? Uh, I'm talking about language necessarily. 
But um, uh, anyway, but I think, I think we ought to hold, this is why this is written to believers. If you see a brother overtaken in a fault, you're, who are spiritual to restore such a one. The main problem of the unbeliever is not that he is, needs to be reformed, it's that he needs to get saved, right? He needs to be saved, he needs to come to Christ for salvation. Let's close, I'm sorry, I wish I had more time, but we need to close because we're already a little bit over, and Eric's uh, wanting you to come get your children, uh, and so is Derek, so don't forget they're, there, they're out there. Father, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for your word that gives us instruction in these things. And I thank you for how you uh, teach us to go back to our own hearts and deal with our own sin first. I pray we would do this uh, when we deal with believers, and I pray with unbelievers we'd have kindness in our hearts and show them the love of Christ and the forgiveness that's there at the cross. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, thank you.